may wonder why my wife's doing up here with me. She's going to help me preach today. She's going to keep me in line. And when I say something, she's going to jab me. Amen? No, that's not true. I'd like for my counsel to come up for a moment and all my church staff, just for a second, please. If you're a church staff, a lot of our staff came. We got people that's in the sound room, Brother Steve and different ones, and Mike's and Children's Church. Zach's traveling today. Some of my council members are also traveling today. Brother Bill Marvin, Louise are gone. Um, but all the church staff, and tonight we're going to be having what we call our annual meeting. Just for a few moments before we have our regular service, we will be having a regular service. It's where we give you the outcome of the whole year and we set new budgets. Y'all vote on those budgets. And um, every year we come before you and we've always been able to come. But one year we uh, spent a lot at the last minute. We had enough money in the bank, of course, to cover it. But only one year did we go a little bit in the red. And this year, we are glad to say we're in the black even after all the remodeling, all the money that we put into this place. We still are in the black. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Praise the Lord. We'll be going over those figures with you today. But you know, after 35 years of pastoring with this congregation, I've seen a lot of highs, a lot of lows, a lot of pits, a lot of peaks. But there's been a good group of people that have stood with me, held up my arms, come in behind me, undergirded me, prayed over me, encouraged me, corrected me, all kinds of things. And one of those special people happens to be my secretary. She's not only my secretary, she's also the church clerk. She's not just a church clerk, she's counselor, she's servant. She just does everything. She's been with me for 25 years years this year 25 years and God knows if anybody can put up with me that long being with me every day they have, they've earned it I'm telling you I didn't need that amen behind me but the truth of the matter is Terry come up here honey This lady is amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, we honor ministers and people who get credentials. But I want to tell you, this woman, if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't be where we're at. The work that she produces, the fruitfulness of her life that touches so many people. In the card, I wrote a little something. And one of the most things about Terry this is important of job that she has she budgets our books over a million and some odd dollars she deals with and she budgets it and I want to tell you you want to get on her bad side just don't bring her receipt in she's Columbo she'll hunt it down and uh, she has she dots every I she crosses every T and the amount of work that's produced through her office is unbelievable. But beyond all of that, then there's the protection of me. And then there is the love for the saints. And then there's the work of the ministry. And then there's being grandma and mom. And then being married to Mark is a hard, hard thing. Hard thing. And she's just an amazing woman. 
and I am glad to have her on my side. Could not work without her. If she quits, I quit. So you better be praying she don't quit. Amen. We love her, and we want to give her a token of appreciation for 25 years of loyal service to this congregation. Would you give her a hand, please? God bless y'all. Y'all can go back. <clears throat> we just wanted to honor her today. We're going to be having the meeting, and I thought, well, we'll do it before the meeting, but the meeting was when there's a lower attendance, and we just simply did not want that to happen. We wanted to honor her. Give honor where honor is due. Amen? Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 11, and stand with me, and while you're doing that, we're going to, first of all, have our declaration put up, please. Can you put up the declaration first? Thank you. Are you ready to say it with me? Lord, today, by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health healing and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Giving praise for that. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Now, Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 12. If you have your Bibles with you. Mark chapter, or phones, I see a lot of people pulling their phones out with a word on it. Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree off, afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs were not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man or Jesus answers and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now go down to verse 19 with me. And when evening was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not die in his heart, but ye shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. Brother Williams, will you ask the Lord's blessing on the word please?
Amen. You may be seated this morning. You know, when it comes to Jesus, you begin to study the life of Jesus, there's something that transpires in this text that actually does not make sense. We see all through Jesus' ministry that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and that he had tremendous results. I quote Acts 10 and 38 quite a bit right here because it's one of my favorite verses, but it says how that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost who went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil for God was with him. I love that, how that Jesus healed all of those that were oppressed by the devil. Right in the face of the devil, Jesus heals people. And we see that he cast out demons, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the lepers, he calmed the storms. On and on and on we could go and we see that Jesus was a figure of authority. When he spoke, demons obeyed his voice. When he spoke, the winds and the sea obeyed him. When he spoke, people rose up out of the graves. And I am intrigued when it comes to the power of Jesus Christ and how that his authority was on display throughout his earthly ministry. We see that Jesus' first miracle that he ever performed was at Canaan of Galilee at a wedding. That's the first miracle recorded. It is here that Jesus and his disciples are invited to a wedding at Canaan and they, we find out that as he got there that through the service that they ran out of wine. Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to him and tells him, hey, Jesus, they ran out of wine here. This wine was a symbol, of course, of joy and celebration. Wine in scripture is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and joy. For the wedding guests to run a wine, it was not only embarrassing to the, wine, the wedding party that day, but in those days, it was considered a disgrace and a sign that the marriage was not sanctioned of God and that bad times were ahead of the couple. If the wine ran out, they understood the symbolics of scripture, the Jewish people did, and they thought because the wine ran out that before the, before the celebration was over, that, that, that joy would run out of the marriage before it would be over, and therefore it, that marriage was cursed and that marriage was not sanctioned of the Lord. That's what they thought. And Jesus responds to his mother Mary and says, woman, what have I to do with thee because my time has not yet come? Mary then just turns as if she's ignoring Jesus altogether. She turns to the servants of the wedding party and she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. As if she's expecting him to do something even though he just told her my time has not yet come. It's not my time to manifest my power. It's not my time to do anything about this. And it is here that we see that Mary just does not accept the fact that Jesus will not get involved. Mary's faith calls Jesus to action even though it was before his time. Now there is a sermon in that and I don't have time to preach that but it'll be a good sermon one of these days. But Mary knew that Jesus could not resist blessing that young couple because he knew that he could not stand by over something symbolic and let someone remain cursed. He had to turn the cursing into blessing. Hallelujah. And that's what God wants to do for every one of our lives. When we are cursed, God wants to bring blessing. Can you say amen? He wants to turn it around. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, where there's neither verbalness nor shadow of turning. That without a shadow of a doubt, I want this congregation to know that God loves us and he cannot turn from wanting to do good on our behalf. And therefore, Mary knew the heart of Jesus and she said, ah, he won't be able to resist this. He'll have to do something about it. So she asks him to get involved and it is here the next thing we see is Jesus begins to put into action his faith and he tells them, fill the water pots with water. And then after the people obeyed, the servants of the wedding party obey, we see Jesus doing something miraculous. He turns the water into wine. 
This happened instantaneously. Jesus done a miracle right before their eyes. Then those that were drinking of the wine said, hey, why have you saved the good wine until last? Jesus turned the wedding from one being considered cursed to one that was considered blessed and favored. Jesus turned the situation from one of sadness to gladness. He changed the result of a wedding party from being embarrassed to them being exalted and looked it up to because they finished well. They finished with the good wine. As I begin to think about that, I thought how that God wants to sweep over this congregation and he wants to turn the cursed thing to the blessed thing. He wants to turn sadness to gladness. And for sure, he wants us to finish well. Can I have an amen? In Matthew chapter eight, there was a leper that came to Jesus and he said unto him, Lord, if thou will, you can make me clean. And then we see Jesus putting forth his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be thou clean. And then it says, the Bible says, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. It is here that we see Jesus again doing a supernatural miracle of healing and the results were instantaneous. It was immediately when Jesus said, be thou clean, boom, the leprosy fell off. There was no cure of leprosy, and we know without a shadow of a doubt that leprosy was not only a sign of, of, of the physical element of, of the leprosy eating away at the skin, but it was a type of sin in Scripture. So it is evident that this man not only was cleansed, cleansed uh, in a natural sense, but a spiritual sense as well. Jesus said, just be thou clean, and he was. In Matthew chapter eight, we also see that Simon Peter's mother-in-law laid with a fever. Jesus comes into the house. He sees her laying there with a fever and the Bible says he just walked by and touched her hand and immediately the fever left and she arose up and began to minister to them. It is here that Jesus took command over a fever. He healed mother, Peter's mother-in-law instantaneously. Not only was she healed, but she had no effects or any kind of complications. She was not weak. She was not frail. She was not tired. She was not fatigued to the top for the result of her sickness because she arose up and she served and ministered to Jesus and all of his disciples. It is also in this same chapter in Matthew chapter 8 that we see Jesus and his disciples enter into a ship going over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It is there that the Bible says that a great tempest arose in the sea insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but Jesus was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. The disciples come to him and awoke him and said, Lord, save us for we perish. One writer said that they woke him up and said, carest thou not that we perish as if accusing him of not loving them. And Jesus replies, why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? And then the Bible says that Jesus arose up out of the sleep. He goes to the bow of the boat and he rebukes the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. And the Bible says that all of the men marveled and said, what manner of man is this that even the wind of the sea obey his voice. Jesus just stood on the bow of the boat that day and commanded the storm to cease and it did. The wind stopped blowing, the rain stopped falling, the waves stopped tossing and Jesus took command and through his authority he calmed the sea and he stopped the storm. Do you believe that Jesus can just speak the word and calm the storms in your life? Do you really believe that Jesus can speak the word and, and that all of the winds of opposition that have come against you can stop just like that? If you believe that, say amen. And immediately when Jesus gets to the other side of the sea, he gets out of the boat. One writer says there's one. This writer actually says in the book of Matthew that there were two demon-possessed men running out of the tombs and they've been there cutting themselves and they run up to Jesus and they say, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time? 
And then the Bible says that these demonic men begin to say that, that they seen a herd of swine that was there a good way off according to the scripture. And the demons besought Jesus saying, if thou cast us out, suffer us to go into the swine. In other words, if you're gonna cast us out, put, let us go into the swine at least. Jesus just simply said, go. And this is the first place in scripture that you find deviled ham. Amen? Because we have demon possessed hogs right here in the scripture. So we have deviled ham on our hands here. And Jesus done it by just saying go. Then the Bible says the demonics went into the herd of swine and they ran violently down a steep place into the sea and they perished in the water. It is here that we see that demons are so vile and so, uh, so mean that even hogs will not let them live in them. The next thing we see is the men possessed with the devils were clothed and setting in their right mind. All Jesus had to do to cast out, the guy's name was Legion, which means 5,000. So all Jesus had to do to cast out 5,000 demons out of a couple of men was just simply say, go, and they had to go. The Bible says, and immediately without hesitancy or delay, but immediately they come out of the men and they fled. Can you imagine the authority that this man has? that all he had to do was just say, go, and 5,000 demons obeyed his voice. And again, we see in Matthew chapter eight of a centurion coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, my servant lieth home sick of a pause. They grievously tormented. And Jesus says to the centurion, well, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replies to Jesus and says, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. He said, for I'm a man of authority. He said, I have soldiers underneath me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. I tell this man, come, he cometh. I tell this man, doeth this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard this, the Bible says that he marveled, that he was impressed by this man. And he said to them, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not even in all of Israel. In other words, here we see a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, having more faith than the people of promise Israel themselves. And here he is displaying it and it impressed Jesus and he marveled. Jesus then said to the centurion, go your way and as thou hast believed, so it be done unto thee. And his servant was healed that very hour. When you look up that word hour, it just means that very second. That literally Jesus, though he wasn't even there, even close by, Jesus just in his power spoke the word and that servant was healed. How many believe that Jesus Christ has all authority and all power in heaven and in earth? Can you give him praise here this morning? In Matthew chapter nine, we see the people brought Jesus a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and it says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then it says that certain scribes that stood by within themselves, they said, this man blasphemeth, for who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus, understanding their thoughts, knowing their thoughts, he read them. He said, for whether is it easy to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say rise up and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon the earth to forgive sins. He said, I say unto the sick and the palsy, arise, take up your bed, and go into your house. You know what the next thing the scripture says? And he arose, he took up his bed, and he departed into his house. Now, can you imagine seeing them kinds of things on display? Man brought with a palsy, sick, can't walk, he's tormented, and Jesus just says, arise, 
take up your bed and walk. And he just took up his bed and he walked and he departed unto his house. This is the kind of power and authority that the Son of Man had on the earth. We also see in Matthew 9 that there was a certain ruler who came and worshiped and said, my daughter is even now dead. Come and lay your hands upon her and she shall live again. The Bible says that Jesus arose and followed him and along with his disciples. But as they followed, a woman with an issue of blood came and interrupted to travel. This woman had the issue of blood for 12 years. She went out and sought physicians and done, spent all of her money trying to get well but yet rather grew worse according to the scripture. But she thought, if I can just slip in and touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I can be made perfectly whole. And the Bible says that she went through the multitudes and she touched him and he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, well, who do you, what do you mean who touched you? All of this multitude around and they're thronging you, they're bumping into you, they're touching you, they're reaching out, wanting to grab a hold of you, they're ripping your clothes and everything else and you ask who touched me? And he said, no, someone really touched me for I felt virtue and I felt power come out of my body. The woman then comes and fearfully falls at his feet amidst that it was her and Jesus says to her, daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith has made thee whole. And the Bible says, and the woman was made whole from that very minute. That very second that what doctors could not do in 12 years, Jesus just done it by allowing a woman to touch her. Can you say amen? What a powerful savior that we have here today. After the hindrance and the temporary delay, Jesus finally gets to this leader's house. His name, some call him Jairus, some call him Jairus. And he finally gets to his house and his daughter, sure enough, was lied there dead. When he gets there, the people had already begun the first stage of funeral preparations. The Bible says that there were minstrels there and people making noise. That means that there were mourners hired that had already come in and begin to mourn her death. And here it was, they were playing the music, people were mourning, people were crying, they were making ado over the girl's death. Jesus said, give me room, get out of my way. He said, this maid is not dead as you suppose, she sleeps. And the Bible says that house laughed him to scorn. Now I want to tell you, there are people that still don't believe in miracles and they still laugh and they still buy. But I want to tell you, the Son of Man still has power not only to forgive sins, but heal the people of the church. Can I say amen? And it was there that Jesus gets upset. He said, well, I can't do nothing with this unbelief around. Get these people out of the room. He clears the room. They all get outside. And then the Bible says, he took her by the hand and the damsel arose. And again, we see Jesus doing instant healing and having instant results within his ministry. One writer said that Jesus took her by the hand and said, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And she arose just by speaking his word. In Matthew chapter nine, we also see a story where two blind men followed after Jesus crying, saying, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus responds to them and says, do you really believe that I'm able to do this? And I think that's what Jesus is asking us here today. Do you really believe that I can do what you're asking me to do? And they say, yeah, Lord, we really do believe. Then Jesus said, be it according to your faith. And the Bible says their eyes were open just like that. Right there within a split second, they were healed of their blindness. One minute they could not see a next nut, not a thing, and the next minute they have 20-20 vision. What a savior that we serve. We also know the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. I won't, I won't bore you with all of them, but I'm gonna give you a few of these miracles for a reason. It is here in this chapter that we see Lazarus become sick. His sister, Mary and Martha, sinned for Jesus. And upon hearing of his sickness, the Bible says that Jesus abode two more days in the place in which he was at. It is here there is a divine delay on purpose. Do you, I don't like divine delays. How many like divine delays? 
None of us like them. But it was Jesus that said in John 11 and 4, this sickness is not unto death, for the glory of, it's, but yet for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. When it seems like that God is not immediately responding to us, maybe it's because there is a greater cause and a greater purpose and a greater work that God wants to do with us. Can I have an amen? Jesus tells his disciples after two days of turning, now it's time to go back to Galilee. Jesus gets to the place of Lazarus and Martha comes running out and saying unto him, Lord, if you would have come when I sent after you, my brother would not be dead. It's your fault that he's died. If you would have come the moment that we sent for you, there would have been time for you to heal him. Now here she is, she's living in the past. She's saying, if only if you would have come. That was in the past. And Jesus said, Martha, thy brother shall raise again. And Martha responds and says, oh, I know he shall raise again in the resurrection of the last day. And now she's trying to live within her future. This is the biggest problem with the church world. We're either focusing upon our past to what God has always done, or we're focusing on the future of what God's going to do. But how about right now? Amen. We got to live in a now faith. Can I have an Amen. That's what Hebrews 11 wants is now faith, not tomorrow's faith, not yesterday. Day. Now faith. What kind of faith do you possess here today? What's going to be manifested according to our faith here this morning? What's God going to be able to do? What kind of works is going to be able to manifest it? Because we have now faith. Can I have an amen? Martha had, had no faith of an instantaneous miracle and be it far from her that she could believe in an instantaneous resurrection. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Jesus says, where have you laid him? They took him where he was buried. Now he's been dead for four days, folks. This takes account for a two-day delay and a two-day travel. Jesus gets there four days later, and God loves to bring fragrance. I want you to notice something. Because he says, roll back the stone, and the people responds and says, Lord, he stinks by now. He's been dead for four days. There's some things that stink. And there's some things that's dead. But can I tell you, God loves to bring fragrance and life to stinky dead things. Can I have an amen? Jesus said, roll back the stone. Then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And I want to tell you something, folks. The Bible says that he called his name on purpose, or, or the, the, the called his name, and he done that on purpose because if Jesus would have just said, come forth, everybody in that graveyard would have come out of the grave. But Jesus just says, hey, Lazarus, you, the one over in that stuff, come forth. And here come Lazarus out with his grave clothes on, and then he looks at the people and says, okay, loose him and set him free. It's the job of Jesus to bring salvation. It's the job of Jesus to bring redemption. But it's the job of the church to help the old, help the, help the new life in the believer to put off old things. Can I have an amen? And here we see that even death had to obey the voice of Jesus. And as we begin to look at the authority of Jesus in his works, among the children of men, there comes an interesting verse of scripture. It's found in Matthew 10. And when I'm about to preach, this is just an introduction. It says that when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Here he comes and he literally takes his authority and gives it over to his disciples. And it is there that they cast out demons. It's there that they can heal all manner of sickness. But not only do we see the 12 disciples doing this, but we see in the New Testament church after the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost that all believers receive such an authority and such power. 
We see that because in the book of Acts, we see Philip, just a common layman. He's not credentialed by Jerusalem. He's not, he's not one of the chosen ones, but he, we see him as a common layman going down to the city of Samaria, and he begins to preach Christ unto them. And the Bible says, and the people with one accord gave heed unto the things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles in which he did. For unclean spirits cried out with loud voices, come out of many that were possessed with him, and many that were taken with the palsies, and those that were lame were healed. Things begin to break out under this man by the name of Philip. Jesus himself said in Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, to you and I, the New Testament church, he said, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on their sick and they shall recover. How many believe that? But here's something that has got my attention when I begin to read this passage of scripture of our text. We're going back to the text now. You didn't think I'd ever get there, did you? But nevertheless, when you begin to look at here is Jesus saying to us concerning the event that took place at the cursing of the fig tree. He talks about this cursing of the fig tree. Peter looks up and sees it, begins to reveal it to him, and then the next thing Jesus says is, have faith in God. And then he says, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that the things in which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Isn't that an unusual place to put that? What was Jesus telling us? Peter comes by, sees the tree cursed. He remembers the words of Jesus and how he cursed it. And then he says, Master, behold the fig tree that you cursed, it's withered away. This is where Jesus tells us that we too can remove mountains of difficulty, mountains of hindrance, mountains of opposition, mountains of affliction. How many's got mountains in their lives? Raise your hand. Come on, I'm gonna give you the key to help overcome these mountains. Because every one of us has mountains of difficulty, hindrances, opposition standing in our way. And Jesus is teaching us that we too have the power to remove obstacles and strongholds that stand in our way to productivity and fruitfulness. Because not only does Jesus want us to be fruitful, he demands fruitfulness. Can I have an amen? Some do not understand why Jesus cursed the fig tree because the Bible says that the times of the figs were not yet. In other words, it wasn't the season for this tree to even produce. Why would you look for peaches on a peach tree in the middle of the winter? It wasn't time for peaches to be on the tree. Jesus looks at the tree and he expects fruit upon it, but yet the time or the season wasn't even time for it to bear forth fruit. Why? The Bible says that Jesus was hungry. And when he seen that the fig tree had leaves, he went to examine it and eat from the figs there. He expected figs on it. Why did Jesus expect figs on this tree? Even though it wasn't the season for the tree to produce the fruit, yet we have to understand that the fig tree is one of the only trees that puts on fruit before it puts on its leaves. So the fruit becomes before the leaves. So what we have here, this fig tree by having leaves was making a statement that I got fruit hanging on me. I got figs hanging on me. He kind of surprised Jesus. He looked over. It ain't time for figs, but it's got leaves. If it's got leaves, that means it's got figs. And the tree was hypocritical and a false pretender and it stood in the way of true fruitfulness. And there is no room for unfruitful, unfruitfulness, especially with false pretenders who are hypocritical that give a bad image to the realness. And this is why that it was cursed by Jesus because there was no fruit to satisfy his hunger. Do you know when God looks down, he's hungry to receive from us? He's hungry to receive from us. But notice why that Jesus tied the mountain moving commanding prayer to this event and not to all the other miracles 
in which he did. Why did he do that? Why didn't he tie this mountain-moving prayer to the resurrection of Lazarus? It would have been more impressive. Amen? It would have been a lot more impressive to see somebody raised from the dead as he commands it and then says, now you can move mountains just like I did. But he didn't tie the mountain-moving commanding prayer to that event. He had tied it to the cursing of the fig tree. Why? Jesus was giving us an object lesson because he knew what would happen to us as we begin to exercise the mountain-moving prayer in our lives and as we begin to try to exercise our faith to remove them. Notice that this is one of the very few occasions that when Jesus spoke that things did not appear to happen immediately. Notice that. It caught my attention. Let's recap the story. Jesus sees a tree from a distance and he's hungry. He walks over to get figs. Tree don't have any figs. It's barren. What did Jesus say to it? May no one eat fruit from you again. He curses it. Notice when Jesus cursed it that absolutely nothing happened. There was no evidence that what he said had any bearing on that tree whatsoever. There was nothing that happened on the outside of the tree. Nothing really changed. There was no evidence at all when Jesus said that, that the tree was cursed. The leaves did not fall off. The bark did not fall off. I want you to note the, leaves, the, the tree did not even change in color. There was no evidence that the words that Jesus said affected this tree at all. The things that Jesus put into motion by speaking did not seem to happen at all when he spoke. But now put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They just seen Jesus speak and the sick were healed. They seen Jesus speak, demons fled. They seen Jesus speak, storms were calmed. They seen Jesus speak, the dead was raised, the blind seen, the lepers were cleansed. And we could go on and on and on. He'd done all of this and every time he spoke there were immediate results. Just like that. Now all of a sudden Jesus speaks and nothing seems to appear to happen. And I'm sure the disciples are wondering, well, what's gone wrong here? They were possibly saying, has Jesus lost his authority? Has Jesus lost his power? Why wasn't this tree withering? Is it dying and yet Jesus has spoken? Jesus has cursed it. But the leaves ain't changing. The, the, uh, the tree's color ain't changing. The leaves ain't withering. The bark ain't falling off. It ain't dead. Why? Why was this tree not responding to the voice of Jesus? What made it different than anything else that he had already spoken? Sickness obeyed him. Nature obeyed him. Death obeyed him. Demons obeyed him. What makes this tree any different? Why ain't it dying? Jesus curses it. And then he goes into the Jerusalem. And he goes and ministers in the temple all day long, it says. He's there way up in the night. Then he leaves and goes out to the outskirts of the city. He finds lodging and there he spends the night. He gets up with his disciples and they travel a good distance, half of a day or more. And finally they come by the way of this tree and when they do, Peter looks up and says, hey, looky here. He said, this fig tree, it's dried up from its roots. It is here where the object lesson begins that I really want to preach to you. This is why that Jesus taught us about the mountain moving prayer in connection to the cursing of the fig tree. Jesus knew that there would be times that when we speak against our mountains, that there would not always be instantaneous results. Are you ready for me? He knew that when we spoke against the authority coming against us, that there would not always be those instantaneous supernatural events that appeared manifested right before your eyes. Sometimes we speak to our mountains and nothing seems to happen. Nothing really seems to change. How many's ever tried that? 
Just like the fig tree, it seems that our words have no effect upon them at all. But what Jesus was teaching us was when things don't seem to be happening, just keep believing, have faith in God. Can I have an amen? How many of you are faced with circumstances you've been battling for a long time and all of a sudden you say, things ain't happening. I want to tell you, just have faith in God because more things are happening than what you suppose. Jesus didn't want us to have faith only when we've seen it, but he wants us to have faith when we don't have any evidence of all of anything changing. That's faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. He wants us to keep believing, and this is why he said in verse 24 of our text, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. One of the things that's contingent upon receiving is believing, having faith. It may be true that when Jesus spoke to the tree, nothing happened on the outside, but down in its roots, the life source was already cut off. Can I have an amen? It may still look alive, but it's just a matter of time before the outside's gonna catch up with the inside because Jesus has spoken and it has been cursed. Just because you don't see anything happening does not mean that it isn't happening on your behalf. Hang with me, church. There's those of you that have mountains of difficulty standing in your way, mocking you, ridiculing you, laughing at you and challenging you. It may be sickness, it may be an addiction, it may be disease, it may be a stronghold, it may be a spirit. A spirit like depression and anxiety and infirmity and jealousy. It may be a lost spouse or, or a child or a parent that you're praying for. And the more that you pray, nothing seems to be happening. How many's there? Nothing really changes when you speak against that mouth. When you come against it, nothing really seems to be moving on your behalf. Then it's time to exercise faith. And instead of crying and praying and begging and pleading for things to change, it's time to say, hey, you're already defeated. I have already prayed and I believe and the moment I prayed, God heard me. Can I have an amen? Oh, I'm about to preach. Hallelujah. And even though you appear, even though you appear, to, even though this thing appears to be real, that tree stands there, nothing's about. And even though that mountain stands before us and we've prayed over it and we've rebuked it and we've cried and, and we've come against it and we spoke to it and we've done everything that we know to do and yet it still stands to standing there, appearing to be real. And even though nothing seems to have changed, I wanna tell you what you gotta say is you may look real, you may stand there and mock and you may have a laugh and an influence, but I'm here to tell you you're not real. Your life source has been cut off. Can I have an amen? You're on your way out, pal. You can't remain. You cannot stay in my presence. You do not have power over me. You don't have influence over me. You don't have control over me, old mountain. I'm a child of God. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I refuse to be deceived by the lies of the falsehoods and deceit. I'm not buying into you. I'm not eating of your false fruit, the fruit of fear and torment and doubt and unbelief and guilt. I live under the anointing of God and I will receive and, and I will see the revealed purpose of God revealed in my life. Amen? That's what you got to say to that mountain. When you speak into your mountains, you must get it into your spirit. Amen? And believe that the things that you say, that it shall come to pass. you got to believe it. Our problem is when we don't see immediate results, we buy into the false statements of the tree's influence. 
And we buy into the devil's fruit, the doubt, the fear, the rejection, the condemnation, the guilt, the unbelief. How many fight those kinds of things? The depression? And yet Jesus looks at this and says, hey, I spoke to the tree, nothing seemed to happen, but have faith in God. For verily I say to you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, cast to sea, not doubt in his heart, but believe the things in which he saith, they shall have them. Say it with me. I want you to say this with me. We're living in the manifestation season. Say it. Say it again. Say it again. Do we really believe that? Do you believe it for your life? Do we believe it for this church? Amen. Instead of saying things like this, things haven't changed, nothing's going on, there's no difference in my situation. Know that it's seasonal. It will pass. It will change. I want you to know it's just temporary. I want you to know the things that you believe in prayer, they will come to pass. Instead of saying, in my addiction, I seem to can't get free, it remains stronger than ever. In my addiction, or in my sickness, or in my depression, put anything you want there, I can't get free, it remains strong. Instead of saying those kinds of things, say, instead of assuming that God isn't doing anything because you haven't seen anything change yet, this is what you gotta do. I want, I want to give you some tools to help you to overcome. You have to quit waiting to see the manifestation but before believing that God's working. Faith says, I have to believe when I pray that God put the miracle into motion. The moment I spoke, God began to work on my behalf. Amen? You can't wait for the evidence and then start believing. You have to believe now. You may not see a sign, not of anything changing. But down deep, you have to know that the life source of your situation is being cut off. The roots have been dealt with by God. You may not see anything happening, but the moment you prayed in faith, God began to act on your behalf. God told Daniel, he said, Daniel, Daniel played 21 days and the prince of Persia hindered the answer to his prayer according to the word of God. But notice the key word there. God told Daniel, notice that the devil, the prince of Persia did not hinder David's prayer He hindered the answer to Daniel's prayer. There's a big difference in that. Because God told Daniel, Daniel, I heard you from the very first day that you prayed. The moment that you whispered, the first move of motion on your lips, the time that you whimpered, that very second, I heard you pray. It isn't that our prayer can be hindered from being heard. It's the answer to prayer that can be hindered for a season coming back to us. There can be a delay in response but not a delay in hearing our prayer because the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are extended unto their cry. Amen? He that watcheth over his children of Israel never slumbers, nor does he sleep. He's awake 24 hours a day. Instead of thinking one day I'll be free, it's time to try a new approach and say, Father, I thank you that I am free. Instead of sitting around praying over the same thing over and over and over. Now there comes a time, you know what all this knocking and praying over and over and over petition prayer is all about? You keep praying it until it gets into your spirit. And then when it gets into your spirit, it moves out of the realm of petitioning into the realm of commanding. Hallelujah. I prayed about this long enough. I've got it in my spirit. Now it's time to leave my petition behind and say, now Father, I thank you by faith that it's done. Can I have an Amen. John Sales gave a devotion to our council this week. He'd been going through a hard year. I don't know how many of you know that. Having some heart problems that's affecting everything. And he is a kidney stone producing machine. Goes to the doctor. He has two in one, one in another. 
He goes back in a few weeks, and now he's got nine and one. It's just, just constant. I don't know how many kidney stones that man has passed and had to have removed from his kidneys, and they're working against the heart, and hearts against them. The procedures that they got to do are going against each other. It's life-threatening, very serious. Barnes Hospital said this is a serious thing. And he goes up there, and we've been praying over it, and he's been praying over it, and he come to the council, and he gave us a devotion. He said God told him to quit praying his heart and start praising him. Hallelujah. Just start magnifying him. Because there's one thing that the devil don't want John to, to, to admit or to realize. The moment that John prayed, though there's no immediate results, God began to work on his behalf. The ax was laid to the tree and the life source to the kidney stones and the life source to the heart trouble was cut off. Can I have an amen? It's time to say, thank you, Father, that this situation is dead. It doesn't control me because you've already put an end to it. It may take some time for it to manifest, but I want you to know your mountain's already defeated. Your difficulty's already dead. Can I have an amen? And all too often, we put the curse situation on life support through the doubt, the fear, the anxiety, the worry, the fretting, and it keeps it influential in our lives for years, even though it's dead. It has no power. Take a rose that's connected to a rose bush. It's beautiful, it's alive. Go get you some clippers and clip it. The moment you clipped it, that rose died. Everybody with me? The moment you clip that rose, it's dead. Oh, it still looks good. Still has some fragrance. It still speaks loudly, but the truth of the matter is, it's doomed. The life source of the roots that supply nourishment to it has been cut off. But you know what we'll do? When that becomes, if that was the hindrance, what we'll do is take our hindrance and go get a vase of water and put it in it and nurture it and try to keep it alive. Through fear and doubt and unbelief and through all that kind of stuff and that thing just keeps speaking. It's powerless, it's dead. The life source is cut off, but we're nurturing it and it is by its own dead influence that it still has power over us because we believe the lie and we become damned. We do it all the time. We let dead things control us. They're stinking things. Christmas trees. You go out and you look at this little beautiful little green tree. You take a chainsaw to it. The minute you cut it down, it died. It's over. It'll never live again. It's over, isn't it, John? Put it up. It'll stay green for a long time. It'll still make a loud profession, but it's lying. It's dying. It's dead. It's putting a false pretender out there like the fig tree did. And that thing which is dying is being cursed because it's being cut off by God. What we'll do is treat it like a Christmas tree. We'll go by and put ornaments on it. We'll go by and decorate it. Fear, doubt, unbelief. Every time It speaks to us. And what we do, we nurture it through our, through our own lack of faith. And that tree, though being dead, controls us for years. Can I have an amen? What God wants us to understand is this, that it's time that we, the church, yes, keep knocking, keep praying, keep petitioning until it gets into your spirit, but there comes a time that you gotta move out of the petition stage and the supplication stage and start saying, now it's time to really start getting serious and commanding this thing to leave. And even though you don't see immediate results when you do it, start praising him. 
Start magnifying. Look at that mountain and say, ha, 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 you look all green and you look all beautiful and it looks and appears that you got figs on you and it looks like that you're brilliant. It looks like you're, but I want you to know you're nothing but a dead stinking thing. I want you to know you have no control over me. I want you to know you have no influence over me. I want you to know and understand though I don't see anything moving at this point, I will. An old tree, an old mountain that stands before Zerubbabel, who do you think you are? Oh, mountain, God's gonna make you a plane. Oh, God's gonna make it to where I'm gonna walk right over you and God's gonna give me the ability to overcome you. You're dead. Very few people pray like that. That's why we don't have the results Jesus had. Jesus curses it. It don't start with an automatic. He just walked away and said, well, give it time. He didn't get in arguments with it. Come on, somebody help me preach. I like it when Jesus went into the synagogue. Oh, I like this story. It's one of my favorite stories. There was a man there in the synagogue that had an unclean spirit. He demon possessed. And it says he went daily. Daily churchgoer, demon possessed. How's that possible? And the Bible called the demon an unclean spirit. Jesus walks in and when they see Jesus' authority, the demons start crying out. Oh, Jesus, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus says, first of all, these demons were wanting to entertain in the synagogue. They're calling him holy and they're talking. They're manifestation. The whole place is going wild like, ooh, look at that. They're displaying their authority and their power. It's full of confusion and chaos. And they're really liking it that they're able to literally cause such chaotic mess in the synagogue. They're wanting to entertain by getting in dialogue with Jesus and have a big war in front of everybody. Jesus didn't allow that to happen. You know what he done? Hold your peace. Shut up. You're not entertaining here. And they said, come out of the And Boom! The Bible says, and the man was delivered that very second. The power and authority. But what happens when that does not happen? What happens when you speak? But that influence just keeps speaking back. What happens when you talk to that mountain? Nothing happens. Nothing's changing. Jesus cursed the tree. Nothing happened. He walked away from it. And it, it was about 48 hours probably. Somewhere in that matter when he comes by and it's finally showing signs of dying. It's dead. And Peter notices it. Can I tell you, if it took time after Jesus speaking, it's going to take a lot more time after we speak to have results. Amen? In closing, I can remember something that happened to me that was very difficult in my life. When John Sales, my brother-in-law, was having his lung transplant a few months before he had it. Been praying for years for that man to be healed. And one night I was praying God spoke to me very clearly. He said, I do not want you to bring this petition before me ever again. For I've heard you. Now start praising me. Whew. So what did I do to back up my faith, to make me accountable? I went to John. I said, John, something weird happened to me that I told John. God spoke to me, and God said for me never to bring the petition back ever before his throne to heal you again. For God has heard me, 
And God wants me to now praise him. And after years of repetitious prayer, I'd get on my knees at night or in the evening or whenever I'd have my devotion. And I'd start, now God touched John and God said, well, 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 he'd stop me. Did I not tell you not to ever bring that before me ever again? I'd say, oh yeah, God, I'm sorry. I praise you that John heals us. I magnify you that John is healed. I glorify your name that John is healed. You know what happened? Not only did things not rem- not only did things rem- not remain the same, not only did they not get better, they got worse. I thought, what in the world is going on? He got to death's door, dried up to the very point that we thought he's dying. They put him in Barnes Hospital and they said, there's no reason this man should be alive. He's dying only for him to get total healing. Thank God for that. Can you give the Lord praise? But now here's the key. What happened when that happened to me? I wept and I cried and God said, why are you sorrowful? I have told you, your sign of tears is a sign of prayer and it's a prayer language to me that you're wanting him healed. I want you to quit crying about this. I want you to quit being so concerned about this. I told you to praise me. I said, okay, Lord. And here he is before the results happen. And I'm just praising and I'm magnifying and I'm fighting all this stuff. Then the Lord begins to give a scripture. And he said, just because you have spoken to the mountain and now you're speaking, I'm commanding this mountain of lungs to be removed in his life. I am doing the commanding prayer. And I'm praising the Lord for the results of it. That John shall live and he shall not die. His lungs have already been healed, though I've not seen the manifestation of it. Oh, mountain of difficulty, you're not going to lie to me. I'm not buying into your fruit. I'm not buying into your depression. I'm not buying into your anxiety. I'm not buying into your falsehoods. I'm not listening to your doubt and unbelief that you're casting my way. These thoughts are false thoughts. You're dead. You have no influence. I'm doing all that. But nothing is changing to the good or nor are they remaining the same. They're getting worse. And God spoke and said, hey, realize that when things get worse, they're coming to an end. I said, God, you gotta back it up with scripture. Jesus, when he cast the demon out of the man of the synagogue, you know what happened? It says on his way out, he tore the young man and the demons cried. Things that get worse before better, it means that they're on their way out. Can I have an amen? That's when usually people fall apart in that tearing stage when the mountain ain't one to let go, but it has to let go and it tears you on its way out. But nevertheless, when the tearing's done, you're whole. Would you stand with me this morning?